0: Welcome to the Urgent Matters Podcast. This is a series where leading experts from around the world share with us their latest insights into overactive bladder. I'm your host, Professor Paul Abrams, and I'm delighted that you have joined us for this latest instalment. The subject of this podcast is uh, mental health problems in overactive bladder and I'm delighted to welcome uh, Professor Tufan Tarkan uh, to this podcast as our expert for today. He got his MD from Istanbul University uh, and then started training in urology and spent fellowship time uh, in Boston. He's now Professor of Urology at Mamara University in Istanbul. He's the immediate past president of the Turkish Continent Society and the current chair of the ICS Urodynamics Committee. And very important for us today, he's a very active member of the ICI Research Society and has led two working groups that have discussed psychological issues in lower urinary tract disorders in general and in particular in overactive bladder. Uh, So welcome to this podcast, Professor Tarkin.
1: Thank you very much. It's such an honor and pleasure for me to be here. Once again, thank you very much for the invitation. If we could start
0: quite simply really, can you tell us a bit about the mental health conditions that are commonly seen in overactive bladder patients?
1: Certainly. Depression and anxiety, which are classified as affective disorders according to the DSM-IV psychiatric diagnostic criteria are most commonly seen psychiatric disorders in OAB patients. There seems to be a multifactorial association between idiopathic lower urinary tract symptoms and affective disorders in adults However, it is still not clear whether psychological comorbidities affect health behaviors and treatment outcomes in patients with idiopathic lower urinary tract dysfunction such as overactive bladder and dysfunctional voiding in adults. There is also a correlation between intensity of overactive bladder symptoms with depression and anxiety. Anxiety and depression levels are mainly related with urgency, incontinence, and nocturia. In addition, certain somatic, psychological, and sexual factors may trigger OAB symptoms and therefore potential targets for behavioral therapy of this disorder. Indeed, it's well recognized that depression and anxiety causes not only mental but also physical changes. For example, Physical changes associated with depression and anxiety include insomnia, anorexia, tachycardia, sexual and erectile dysfunction, bowel dysfunction, and lower urinary tract dysfunction that is mostly an overactive bladder. In lower urinary tract dysfunction, the detailed mechanism of the causation remains still unclear. Lower urinary tract dysfunction in depression and anxiety presumably reflects that the bladder and the pelvic floor is under emotional control. Thus, depression and anxiety probably is a risk factor for bladder dysfunction. Therefore, depression and anxiety, according to my opinion, should be listed in the differential diagnosis of OAB and other lower urinary tract dysfunctions.
0: Well, thanks very much. I'm interested that you mentioned specifically urgency incontinence and obviously this is one of the key symptoms of overactive bladder. Am I right in thinking uh, that if we take women, those women with stress incontinence uh, are not as affected by depression and anxiety as those with urgency incontinence?
1: That's absolutely true, Paul. Uh, Women with stress urinary incontinence are less affected by mental disorders um, compared to the ones with urgency incontinence. Uh,
0: Tufan, I'd just like to ask you, there is a a statement, which I don't disagree with, that uh, poorly managed overactive bladder is associated with lower quality of life, but My question really is, is it bad management or is it just an inherent problem of the overactive bladder disease?
1: Okay, thank you very much. This is really a very important question, but unfortunately there is no evidence-based answer yet for this question in the literature. It is likely that affective disorders are usually ignored in the OAB management policies, and this will have a negative effect on the treatment outcome for sure. Further, the answer is naturally related to the causative relation between overactive bladder and affective disorders, and which is not very well understood. So let me please uh, just explain here some different uh, pathophysiological mechanisms and hypotheses uh, to understand the link between OAB and the mental disorders. There are different models, actually, to explain this etiological uh, relation. For example, in the antecedent hypothesis, the psychological disorder causes the onset of overactive bladder. According to the second hypothesis, which is the consequence hypothesis, OAB is responsible for the commencement of psychological disorders. The third one, namely the common pathway hypothesis, suggests that both conditions shared a common causative underlying etiology. And finally, the fourth assumption is that both conditions evolve separately. These complex associations are multifactorial and not just bidirectional. Both OAB and psychological disorders are influenced by factors which can be seen as protective or risk factors and may be related to the patient himself, like internal factors, or to the environment, like external factors. These factors can also start to exert their impact before birth because of genetic background or during earlier life, during later life. These multiple contributing factors make treatment and research efforts very challenging. For example, lower urinary tract dysfunction of the childhood, such as aneurysis or overactive bladder, has been found to be associated with adult overactive bladder, likewise Childhood bad bladder habits are considered by many as behavioral disorders and may strongly influence adult lower urinary tract dysfunction. Due to high psychological comorbidity rates, the ICCS, the International Children's Continence Society, recommends screening for emotional and behavioral disorders in all children with nocturnal enuresis, diurnal urinary incontinence, and fecal incontinence. So actually we need much research in that field to really uh, understand um, the the relationship between the overactive bladder and the the idiopathic lower urinary tract dysfunction, especially uh, overactive bladder and the mental disorders. To really understand uh, their um, effect on the treatment outcome and uh, also quality of life of our patients.
0: So when we see a patient for the first time, uh, an adult patient with overactive bladder, should we be asking uh, questions about their psychological status? I mean, should we be saying to somebody, do you consider that you're an anxious sort of a person or is there... A questionnaire, a simple questionnaire we could use routinely?
1: Yeah, Um, actually there are uh, questionnaires um, and um, these are still um, need uh, validation for that, but there are uh, studies for that. Um, that uh, actually uh, worked on these uh, questionnaires. Of course, they all need linguistic validations in different uh, langu- languages, but still the, uh, the data, the existing data is very immature. So, uh, but the answer to your question is certainly yes. Yes, we have to questionnaire the, these. How we should questionnaire is another question. So we still do not know the optimal way how to questionnaire this. These studies are going on to answer that question. But of course, every physician, I believe, has his own way how to question the uh, possibility of mental disorders uh, in, in that patient group. But it's not easy. We need validated questionnaires for that. And uh, we need more research to find the best way how to do it. In the practical life, whenever uh, we, um, we are suspicious of any underlying mental uh, problem, uh, I think um, a practical way here uh, may be to uh, ask for a consultation uh, from our uh, psychologist or psychiatrist colleagues to uh, really uh, dig in uh, the uh, pathophysiology. but it's a black hole here uh, in really in our clinical practice. We need certainly to question it yes is the answer to your question but how to do it is still remains uh, still remains unanswered.
0: Thanks very much. So I think you've made it very clear there are associations between psychological, Uh, issues and mental health problems and overactive bladder, Uh, what would be the underlying pathophysiological mechanisms that led to this abnormality of overactive bladder?
1: The pathophysiological mechanisms are a really interesting uh, field uh, for the research. Actually, we still do not know the exact pathophysiological mechanisms, but we know uh, something. For example, corticotropin-releasing factor, CRF, has been investigated as a possible common pathophysiological contributor to overactive bladder and anxiety and depression. Likewise, serotonin depletion has been postulated as another shared pathophysiological candidate for both anxiety, depression, and overactive bladder. As its role in affective disorders is well-established, and several experimental studies have demonstrated that lowering of serotonin levels in the central nervous system was accompanied by urinary frequency and detrusor overactivity. Transient receptor potential TRP channel these functions might also play a key role in the co-occurrence of affective disorders and overactive bladder central sensitization defined as increased responsiveness to nociceptive neurons in the cns to normal or subthreshold afferent input has recently been suggested as a last common pathophysiological cofactor of anxiety depression and overactive bladder Many of the pathophysiological mechanisms may be common to social stress-induced overactive bladder and functional gastrointestinal disorders and pelvic organ crosstalk OAB phenotypes, which is a big field of research. Finally, both physiological and psychological stress can result in a failure of uretelial and suburothelial defensive systems and thereby promote changes in both uretelial barrier and signaling function. This may be a theory maybe more relevant for bladder pain syndrome. And urodynamic correlates of affective disorders are also intriguing, but poorly studied. We still do not know to what extent depression and anxiety might cause neurodynamic abnormalities. Many patients with affective disorders and lower urinary tract dysfunction showed increased bladder sensation during bladder filling or underactive or acontractile detrusor during voiding, but neither one is an exclusive finding for mental disorders. So these uh, are actually what we know about the um, possible pathophysiological mechanisms so far. But again, this is a very uh, intriguing uh, field of research uh, for the future.
0: So would it at the moment be true to say that these are areas of academic interest without any obvious translational ability to carry these theories into practice in the treatment situation in adult men and women with OAB.
1: Yeah, uh, these are still very immature uh, findings, and it's difficult to translate to uh, the clinical practice. However, the urodynamic research in this field is uh, also uh, very important, and it it is uh, a little bit, uh, you know, what we call as a psychiatric urodynamic dysfunction with, uh, with an increased bladder sensation, normal bladder capacity, normal serve function. Um, but uh, this is uh, still um, not uh, supported by a high level uh, of uh, evidence. So uh, I think urodynamic research, not only uh, basic, but also clinical urodynamic research here is certainly uh, needed.
0: Well, thanks very much. It's a very interesting area, as you say, and hopefully uh, we'll understand more about it and get some more therapeutic targets from that research. Uh, In terms of um, men and women, we know that men and women have roughly the same prevalence of overactive bladder right through the ages, uh, perhaps becoming a little more common in men in old age. Um, Are there differences in terms of mental health issues in men and women who, who have OAB?
1: Yeah, certainly there are, as you mentioned uh, before, uh, the difference between stress urinary incontinence and urgency or urinary incontinence. There are also here differences between men and women, uh, although the issue is not uh, well uh, investigated here. Uh, A positive correlation was shown between overactive bladder and anxiety and depression actually in both sexes, however, men were considerably more likely than women to have anxiety related to overactive bladder, but depression levels in OAB patients were not sex related. There are also sex-specific contributing pathologies to lower urinary tract dysfunction that make the research challenging. For example, in women, besides overactive bladder, bladder emptying problems, including dysfunctional voiding and idiopathic urinary retention are common. And then etiology can be found in only around 40% of women with bladder emptying problems uh, although they undergo extensive investigations, whereas the rest uh, remains idiopathic. In men also, prostatitis syndromes and benign prosthetic enlargement are other contributing factors. We again come here um, to the uh, discussion how to phenotype the overactive uh, bladder. So I think mental disorders and their relation with OAB should create maybe an OAB phenotype Um, and in the future maybe this phenotype may have different uh, algorithms or treatment uh, options here. Again, uh, maybe it's time to mention again the importance of phenotyping OAB uh, in a a better uh, treatment outcome in patients with OAB. I
0: think that's a very interesting area. It, um, It seems almost um, contradictory that men would have more anxiety than women and I say that only because we know very well that more women with overactive bladder suffer from urgency incontinence than men who have overactive bladder who have a much lower incidence of urgency incontinence. So you might even think that women would have more psychological problems because of their overactive bladder than the men would. Is there any explanation for that seeming paradox?
1: Yeah, um, um, actually, uh, Paul, I think um, the roots of overactive bladder, at least in some patients, at least in a group of patients, uh, are going to the childhood. And dysfunctional voiding and bad bladder habits, like uh, postponing the urination, um, in the adult time can um, appear as overactive um, bladder. And we know uh, that dysfunctional voiding and um, postponing of the urination or infrequent voiding is more common in girls compared to boys. So therefore, really the uh, female OAB can have some specific different phenotypes compared to the male uh, OAB. On the other hand, back to your question comparing stress urinary incontinence and urgency urinary incontinence, we very well uh, are aware of the fact that um, stress urinary incontinence bothers uh, people less than urgency urinary incontinence. This may be partially explained um, that uh, you can actually predict when stress urinary incontinence will occur. This will occur when you are going to cough or sneeze or laugh. On the other hand, it's more difficult to predict when the urgency incontinence will occur. So, therefore, it may be more difficult um, to take the preventive measures uh, for many people with urgency um, urinary incontinence. And also, we should uh, also, um, I think, mention that for many women, um, the, the urinary incontinence issue, when it is... Uh, associated with aging uh, many people think uh, many women think that it's a normal process of aging and therefore unfortunately still um, only a a minority of women with uh, urinary incontinence um, visit their physicians because of that um, complaint thinking that it's a normal progress or normal Actually, history of uh, aging. So, the men and female have really different uh, features, and uh, these can also uh, be affected, of course, by the mental uh, health. But again, it's a very complicated, very complicated issue that we need to research.
0: Oh, yes, thank you and I'm glad you mentioned the elderly because uh, as we all know we're dealing with an increasingly aged population and are there m- more issues around mental health and psychological problems in the elderly who have overactive bladder?
1: Yeah, um, thank you Paul again for this uh, very um, important question because The elderly population is uh, very complicated, maybe the most difficult uh, part or group of OAB to treat because of many comorbidities and polypharmacies and also mental impairment which comes naturally with uh, aging. So far, no studies have addressed on if and how elderly patients could benefit from psychological assessment before starting treatment of a low urinary tract dysfunction. Some studies report that incontinence can affect the quality of life in elderly subjects. Also, instruments exist for assessing disease-specific quality of life, disruption, and efficacy of interventions. The main treatment of elderly patients, especially with urgency and urgency incontinence, are still behavioral treatment modalities because it was found that behavioral modification was superior to drug therapy, with an 81% reduction in urgency incontinence episodes in patients with symptoms of OAB, as opposed to approximately 50% with anticholinergic medications. A combination therapy with drugs and behavioral modification has been demonstrated in older patients in a controlled crossover study as being even more beneficial. It is widely acknowledged that success of all conservative treatment, especially in elderly patients, is time-consuming and takes a motivated patient as well as a motivated carer. Psychological disorders, especially those affecting patient motivation, should be assessed before conservative treatment. Of course, especially in elderly patients, and ignoring psychological comorbidities here in that group, Uh, may lead us um, to uh, an unsuccessful uh, outcome uh, of our uh, treatment. So I think behavioral treatment is very important in the elderly population and um, assessment of uh, mental health problems. And also I would like to add neurological uh, problems here uh, is very important in the uh, elderly uh, patient population.
0: Yes, I I think it becomes increasingly complex, doesn't it, in the elderly and and, uh, particularly, say, in in European society, there are a lot of elderly people who live on their own and managing a condition with the psychological aspects that overactive bladder has, if you live on your own, must be difficult and perhaps the incidence of depression is a lot higher in the elderly than we
1: realise. This is absolutely true. And also in addition to mental uh, problems like um, depression, um, the cognitive impairment also uh, becomes difficult to assess in elderly patients uh, who are uh, living alone. Because uh, when they live with their families, of course, their relatives uh, can uh, understand or detect this uh, mental impairment or cognitive impairment in that patient group. But uh, when the patients live alone, unfortunately, we cannot get... Um, a healthy history from the relatives uh, many times. So in that case, of course, there are, again, validated instruments, uh, fortunately, to Uh, assess the cognitive impairment in that patient group. So, again, as you said, it's becoming more and more complicated uh, in the uh, elderly patients because of not only mental um, impairment, but also cognitive impairment here uh, also uh, complicates the situation. Mm.
0: Thank you very much. So the individual social situation for the elderly we've talked about, what about individuals social situations if we look at the whole spectrum where the patient comes from etc are there other factors there which make overactive bladder more difficult to treat or perhaps even make overactive bladder more common?
1: Yeah, this is, again, another important topic, which is, again, unfortunately, very poorly investigated. But just luckily, I met a paper recently. Um, This was a multi-center cross-sectional study in 256 women presenting to outpatient female pelvic medicine in the USA. In this study, a higher overactive bladder symptom level was associated with food insecurity, financial strain, difficulty finding or keeping employment, and difficulty concentrating after adjusting for site, age, race, body mass index, parity, and previous pelvic surgery. So uh, the answer again to your question is yes. There are certain social determinants of health um, that are related to economics, to employment uh, of the patients that may affect uh, their uh, lower urinary tract. Here in that study, the authors concluded that unmet social needs, as they call it, might impact the success of overactive bladder treatment and urologists should consider collaborating with social work and mental health specialists to better serve patients with overactive bladder and social determinants of uh, health needs. Of course, uh, this sounds very good and very optimal in terms of good um, clinical medicine. However, I know that it is not uh, easy to uh, accomplish. Does besides psychological comorbidities Social needs may also affect health behaviors and treatment outcomes in patients with idiopathic lower urinary tract dysfunction, especially overactive bladder. So we need again here research to elucidate this complex uh, multifactorial mechanism underlying lower urinary tract symptoms. So again, overactive bladder is, uh, is a difficult multifactorial uh, symptom complex. And again, uh, phenotyping here is certainly necessary, but there are so many parameters. And uh, today uh, we have discussed the mental health uh, problems, and it's really uh, very complicated to uh, reach um, a very uh, delineated uh, phenotyping in OAB. So we need again uh, to research uh, many parameters, also including the uh, social unmet needs.
0: Thank you very much indeed. Well that was an extremely interesting discussion and I think what we learned from you was that when we assess overactive bladder patients and perhaps as soon as they come into our care we should be making some assessment of their psychological state and, and you pointed out that the main issues are around anxiety and depression and certainly I look forward to having a very simple, maybe five or six questions that I can ask the patient, maybe even give them to answer before uh, I talk to them to get some assessment of the importance of that. Uh, It's certainly clear from what you've said that the psychological issues do have an impact on our success uh, in treating patients. And unless we take a holistic view where we look at the whole patient's psychological makeup, And also you pointed out their social situation and I think particularly the discussion on the elderly is very important with an aging population and you made the point that people living alone may well be depressed, they may lose motivation, they may in fact not go to their doctor because they think there's nothing much can be done. And we've got to try and get over those barriers to treatment, which I guess are related to uh, education, etc. So you have emphasised how complex the situation is. Now, that should be regarded, I think, just as a challenge. It's something that we have to deal with. And as you say, with the research, hopefully uh, we will get a better understanding of all the causes of overactive bladder and be able to help our patients um, more effectively so many thanks for your help it's been
1: very valuable thank you very much it was a pleasure
0: thank you very much for listening to this episode of the urgent matters podcast series and we hope that this has helped share further insights into overactive bladder we would like to thank Astellas for their kind support in sponsoring this podcast Please stay tuned for the next episode where we continue to explore key insights from experts in the field of OAB.